Since October, Linda Henley Francombe has been trying to find out why George Bell, the man who murdered her daughter, Heather Spencer, had been moved from Parchment to Rankin County's Central Mississippi Correctional Facility, Unit 1A. That's where they put basically more or less prisoners who, I guess, have shown more model behavior. I don't know why uh, someone who is in prison for life on a murder sentence would be one of the ones that was selected to be moved from Parchment. Francombe says she called MDO the AG, and wrote to the governor before posting on Facebook to find out why. Today, MDOC Commissioner Burl Kane gave us the answer. Inmate George Bell III took someone else's life 12 years ago, and the courts gave him a life sentence, which he'll serve to the fullest. He cannot be pardoned or paroled, so his punishment doesn't change. What has changed is Mr. Bell's heart through the study of scripture and application of those lessons. He's even completed a three-year graduate course in theology has become a counselor for other inmates. Mr. Bell acknowledges that he committed a terrible crime, is remorseful for it, but he's powerless to correct it except by influencing others away from crime. Francom says she can't believe it. He's a master manipulator. He knows what it takes to get what he wants. And, you know, I'm sorry. I'm a Christian and I can forgive people, but... When you've been through what I have and when you've seen a person's true colors, um, you know, I just, I think he's doing this to get just what he has gotten and that's an easier life. Frank Holmes says Bell told her daughter he'd changed two days before she was murdered. Mary Heather Spencer was murdered by her boyfriend of one year, George Bell III, in Jackson, Mississippi, on September 11th of 2008. And she was only 28 years old. This murder sent shockwaves throughout the city of Jackson. And Heather Spencer would soon become the face for anything having to do with domestic violence against women. But before we can get into how or why this happened, we've got to go back to the beginning and get to know a little bit about the people we'll be talking about today. So Heather Spencer was born in March of 1979, March 10th to be exact, and she grew up in a small town. It was a small delta town of Indianola, and she grew up obviously with her parents and her brother Zan until they moved to Rankin County, and Heather began her freshman year of high school at Northwest Rankin High. And Heather had this like mysterious quality that made all the guys that she met like fall for her. She was gorgeous, smart, and she was the girl voted most beautiful by her classmates and she could have had any guy that she wanted. But by September of 2008, Heather Spencer had been dating a guy named George Bell III for a year and a half. George Bell was the third generation of the prominent Jackson, Mississippi family known for their carpet and rug business. George was thought of as charming and intelligent by people who knew him. He helped with his family-owned carpet business from time to time, but then branched out a little and began co-owning a car lot with one of his friends. But things started going wrong in George's life around the time he and Heather started dating. His business was failing, and his frustration about this led him to cocaine and steroids. Although friends have been quoted as saying that he spoiled and doted on Heather at first, you know, bringing her flowers and buying her anything she wanted, both of their friends thought that they had the quote-unquote fairytale type of relationship. But as we all know, what a relationship looks like on the outside isn't exactly always what it really is on the inside. 
and Heather's friends and family would soon see how shattered this fairy tale relationship actually was. So let's go back to June of 2007. Heather and George had been dating for a while at this point, and on this morning, George decided to use Heather's spare key to break into her house, the house that Heather had shared with her roommate and best friend named Elizabeth. And according to Elizabeth, who had been woken up from all the noise in the house, she stated that when she got up, she went to Heather's room, and that's when she saw George standing over Heather, and he was hitting her in her head with a rubber mallet. Elizabeth said that when she saw this, she, like, screamed to George to, like, get off of her. Like, and after she started, like, screaming at him, she said he dropped the bloody mallet on the floor beside the bed and he just took off out the door. And he actually stole Heather's car to get away from the house. Elizabeth said that she picked Heather up, put her in her car, and took her to the hospital because it was only, like, a block away from where they lived at the time. And on the way there, she dialed 911, and an officer had met Heather and Elizabeth at the hospital. And Heather actually had to have like seven stitches in her head. But Heather refused to press charges against George. Heather's friends and family said that she didn't press any charges at all. And the reason why she didn't was because they said that she just wanted to see the best in George. Because like, that was the kind of person that she was. Like, she always saw the best in everyone. And even her mother said, quote, she thought that with her help, she could make him a better person, end quote. So yeah, she didn't press any charges. She loved George. And for this horrific incident, he didn't get punished. He went without punishment. So after word got out, like after everyone found out about what George actually did to Heather, George's friends had actually came forward and said that they had been with like George the night before he had beat Heather and they said that they knew for a fact that George was extremely high on cocaine and X pills so instead of doing like any kind of jail time or facing the consequences for what he did to Heather George instead decided to go check himself into a rehab facility called Narconon. So George Bell spent roughly three months in this facility in Arrowhead, Oklahoma, as a, quote, voluntary student in dealing with his drug problem. So Narconon is an extremely controversial program. It includes extensive sauna sessions and massages and heavy doses of vitamins and mineral supplements. It also uses the rehabilitation concept of Scientology, and the founder of this rehabilitation facility was not even an addiction specialist. When I was doing my research for this episode and on this rehab, I was shocked at the things that has happened at this rehab over the years. So many of their patients have died from drug overdoses. And they have so many lawsuits pending against them as well. In my opinion, this rehab center sounds like a joke, but people around George Bell wanted to believe that it would work. And they all helped convince Heather that it would rehabilitate him. His family would tell her stuff like drug addiction can be cured and just stand by him and just stuff like that. And one of Heather's friends had actually said that Heather actually told her like one of the ladies from the Narconon facility actually called Heather and told Heather that that what George did to her was a one-time thing, that he was not an abuser. What he did to her was only because of the drugs, but they could cure him. But as we know, that just dealing with a drug problem doesn't necessarily deal with the core set of beliefs that leads men into abusing women. The facility had absolutely no right to tell Heather this, in my opinion, but 
Heather believed this, or at least she wanted to. We will never know what Heather truly thought. Because as soon as George Bell came home from this rehab, he would murder his girlfriend, Heather Spencer. Now, while George was away in rehab, Heather did gradually convince herself, with the help of others, of course, that it was the drugs that were at fault. She wanted to believe that because she loved George so much that it was the drugs, it wasn't him. She didn't want to believe that the man she loved could do the things that he's done to her, sober. And she knew that he had been stressed because, like, his work issues and she had witnessed the dealership going under and honestly it was probably going under because George was probably paying for drugs rather than paying his bills but Heather figured when he got sober things would be great between them and without him spending his money on drugs he can get his dealership back on the right track so she thought things would go back to normal when he got home that made George abuse her, might have also had something to do with the amount of time that Heather had spent with George's mother, especially while George was away in rehab. Heather's mother had lived at a distance like in Michigan, so she couldn't really spend time with her, so she basically stayed with George's mom, Robbie. And when Heather's friends questioned why she was spending so much time with the mother of the man who brutally beat her while canceling outings with them, like instead, nearly every day, Heather would be at Miss Robbie Bell's house, like sorting through boxes of paperwork. She would be reconciling titles, contacting creditors, finance companies, and lawyers. Heather's response to her friends was always, quote, I'm all Miss Robbie has left, end quote. Her friend said that there was a lot of missed dinners and a lot of missed lunches and a lot of missed phone calls because Heather was staying up so late, literally working her fingers to the bone on George's business while he was in rehab. George's mother, Robbie, had basically brainwashed Heather, like basically made her feel like she had to help. She had to stay with George. So, like many victims of domestic abuse, Heather was convinced that George would get better if she helped him, if the rehab helped him, and if she stood by him. If she was doing her best to salvage what was left of his business while he was in rehab, she thought things would be great when he got out. Heather stayed in frequent contact with George by email and cell phone while he was in rehab. And Heather had told her friends that George was getting better and that she was looking forward to him coming home. But Heather became more and more isolated from anyone outside of Robbie and George Bell's sphere of influence in a short span of time while trying to convince everyone that she was in control of the situation. Heather told her mother, quote, I'm not going to jump back in and, like, do anything. I'm going to give it time, end quote. She also told her mother that she was not going to get back into the same kind of relationship that she had before, that she was just going to take her time. But what Heather didn't know is that she wouldn't have time because, like I said, George was coming home soon, and when he got home, he would murder his girlfriend. On September 8, 2008, the Bell family and Heather Spencer had all celebrated George's return to Jackson from the Arkansas facility. And allegedly, everyone had a great reunion in town with George. His family was excited to see him, and so was Heather. September 8th seemed like a good day, a new start, the next chapter of Heather and George's life together. People who saw her that day said that she was just smiling. She seemed so happy to have George home. But tragically, just two days later, that all would change. So, at about 8 p.m. on September 10th, Robbie Bell arrived at her home from work at 4650 Traywick Drive. 
And what she finds when she walks into her North Jackson home on Trawick Drive is all a matter of speculation, as neither Robbie nor George has ever told their stories publicly, which obviously leaves tons of room for us to speculate. But later on, a guy working for a private security company who patrols Robbie Bell's North Jackson neighborhood said that he believes he saw Heather in the early morning hours of September 11th at about 1.27 a.m. He said he saw a young woman fitting Heather's description, and he said that he actually stopped to ask if she was okay. But later on, a guy working for a private security company who patrols Robbie Bell's North Jackson neighborhood said that he believed that he saw Heather in the early morning hours of September 11th at about 1.27 a.m. He said he saw a young woman fitting Heather's description, and he said that he actually stopped to ask if she was okay, and the woman said that she was. She was just out looking for her dog, and she told him that the dog was a Jack Russell Terrier, white in color, except it had like a black head, and the dog, the security guy, like said the woman described, matched the description of George Bell's dog perfectly. So authorities believe that it was most likely Heather that this security guard had saw, and so from this, they start to like build a timeline. Um, the security guard also stated that nothing in the woman's conduct, verbal or nonverbal, indicated any stressful or like an unusual situation. He said once she found the dog, he saw a return to 4650 Trawick Drive, Robbie Bell's home. And the security guard actually did note this in his activity report for that night because even though, like he said, like nothing seemed really off about it, he just had like a weird feeling so he went with his gut and noted it down after heather's body was found she was sent to the medical examiner this woman was named sharon grissom stewart she would state in her report that heather died at around 3 a.m on september 11th seven hours after robbie bell like came home the night before and roughly 90 minutes after the security officer claimed he saw her outside looking for the dog the coroner also puts the time of injury at about 3 a.m. So George had murdered Heather at his mother's home between like 2 and 3 on the morning of the 11th. But he was not done yet. But he wasn't done yet. By 7.30 a.m. on the 11th, George drove Heather's Camry to the home that she shared with her roommate Elizabeth. Elizabeth said that she woke to the sound of her dog barking and she looked outside and she saw George Bell sitting outside of her Parkwood Place house. And she knew he had just returned to Jackson three days before, like, from rehab. And she said that George didn't knock on the door. He just literally came in and sat on her bed. He said he wanted to talk. And Elizabeth was later questioned by the police. And she would tell them in a statement that, quote, he told me that he killed his baby, meaning Heather, and that he did a lot of coke, end quote. Elizabeth said that George was agitated and acting irrationally, telling her that he had done something very bad, that he had killed the only person that he loved. And Elizabeth would also write in her statement later on to the police that he, like, put a lot of cocaine on our glass coffee table in their living room and just snored all of it then this is not funny he then said he then pulled a gun out and elizabeth said that he was gonna like use it to kill himself because that's what he said so he, he comes over there tells elizabeth like i've killed my baby i'm so sad i just want to talk and then he puts a whole bunch of cocaine on the glass table snorts it all then pulls out a gun points it at himself and is like i want to die like rehab helps him so much but he didn't want to die before he got to have sex with elizabeth though because he told elizabeth after he told her that he wanted to kill himself that he wanted her to like give him a blowjob and also have sex with him and elizabeth kind of like will definitely like refuse this 
And when she refused this offer, <laughs> oh fuck. And when Elizabeth refused his offer to give him a blowjob, he forced her at gunpoint into the green Camry, Heather's car, and drove her back to his mother's Trawick drive home. And when they got there, Robbie Bell and George Bell escorted her into their home. And Elizabeth said, quote, I looked at Robbie and asked her if all this was true. And she says, yes, she had been held up all night long, end quote. Robbie Bell had not called anybody at this point. She didn't call 911 at all, not even while her son was away from the house. Heather was already obviously dead at this point when he was like going to Elizabeth and Heather's house doing this to Elizabeth. Miss Robbie like had to have known about it. Her cell phone records would later show that there were no calls between 7.32 p.m. on September the 10th until 9.19 a.m. on September 11th. And the only activity it showed then is that she checked her voicemail. So whether George Bell murdered Heather Spencer before his mother came home that night or after is a matter of pure speculation, like I said, as is the question of if Heather was alive for any length of time after the attack on her. Contrary to rumors still, questions remain about Robbie Bell's behavior that night. And why did she not call the police even after George had left the house and showed up at Elizabeth's house in her bedroom? She never called the police or an ambulance for Heather, and her failure to act is morally questionable. But not every morally questionable thing is illegal. And I know a lot of people hate Robbie Bell, and I can't also say that I agree with anything that she did here either. But what she did wasn't illegal. It was not morally right, but it wasn't necessarily a crime. Anyways, Robbie Bell's first two calls on her cell phone, like I said that morning, were to check her voicemail. Then she made a call at 949 to her brother-in-law, James Bell. And she asked James to get to her house, like, quickly. So James, concerned, gets there quickly, and Robbie leads James through the house into the backyard. James Bell would later tell the police that, quote, I saw blood on the floor of the living room and in the den, end quote. James Bell would also tell the police that, quote, I came to the conclusion that my nephew might have killed his girlfriend last night and her body might be somewhere in the house, end quote. James said, quote, Elizabeth told me that George had taken cocaine, and when he took the drug, he wasn't himself, like he was possessed by demons. I learned that he had a gun somewhere and that he had been acting psychotic, and he had been hallucinating and that he had been seeing SWAT officers behind every corner, end quote. James said he then prayed with his nephew and then asked him to go to the police and turn himself in. But James said that he was being, like, kind of combative. And George said at this point, like, quote, I don't even see any reason that I should be alive, end quote. He also added that both he and Robbie Bell tried to talk George into turning himself in, but George just was not having any of this. So time's passing and Robbie and James are pleading with George to turn himself in. Meanwhile, Elizabeth is still in this house as well, and James would later say that he knew that she was terrified. So when George went inside the house to use the bathroom, James saw this as like the perfect opportunity to get Elizabeth away from that house and away from George. So James said he even asked Robbie to come with them. But Robbie denied saying, quote, I'm not going to leave my son, end quote. So James and Elizabeth Hall leave, and while they were driving, they actually saw a police officer on the road, and they flagged him down. The police officer pulled over and then instructed them to follow him to a Highland Village parking lot. And this is at around, like, 1030 in the morning. So they followed this police officer to this parking lot, and 
At this point, James actually told the officer, like, what was going on, and this officer was named Officer Wall, and so he told him everything that was going on, and after hearing what James Bell had to say, Officer Wall immediately called for backup, and the police began strategizing on how they would approach Robbie Bell's trailer drive home. It was right then that James Bell's phone rang, and it was from Robbie, and she was informing him that her and George had left their house. She said her son was scared that James was going to call the police. And after this, James asked Robbie, like, was he going to turn himself in? James asked her if that's, like, where they were going, like, to the police so George could turn himself in. And to this, Robbie said no, not yet. Said she was trying to talk him into it, though. And then Robbie told James that her son wanted to go get cigarettes and a drink and that George Bell's father told her to meet him at a BP gas station at the corner of Northside Drive. James Bell told police officers the gist of the conversation that he had just had with Robbie. At this exact time, while he was telling Officer Wall this, they saw Robbie Bell's 2006 Black Infinity driving west towards Northside Drive. So the officers hop into their cruisers and they follow Robbie Bell's car to this BP gas station. Officer Wall then informed the other officers that, quote, the white male in the vehicle was armed, end quote. And they quickly took up combat positions surrounding the car and the gas station. Officer Wall could see George holding a silver gun to his head, and then he saw him putting it in his mouth. They saw him putting it under his chin. He was just, like, holding it in different places. So, one of the other officers, Officer Parker, cautiously approached the car and saw that Robbie Bell was trying to get out of the driver's side of the car and saw that George Bell had a hold of her arm, preventing her from leaving. So, Parker yelled over to George to, like, let her go, and after a few moments, George Bell did let go of her arm. At this point, Officer Parker told Robbie to get the keys out of the ignition, but she didn't listen to this. She just ran towards Parker, and then Parker took Robbie to his police cruiser where he began writing his initial report. While she was in the car with the police officer, she called George Bell on her cell phone and then handed the phone to Officer Parker. So George Bell was on the phone with Parker, and he told him that he was in the process of going to see his lawyer, and then he was going to turn himself in, but he said he wanted to do it on his own time. So now the officers call for a hostage negotiator, the Jackson SWAT team, and medical personnel while simultaneously evacuating the BP gas station. Lieutenant Gerald Jones, the negotiator, and the SWAT team relieved the other officers that were on scene, and they took control of the whole situation. And with numerous SWAT guns trained on George, George Bell held them all off for nearly four hours with the gun pointed at his head. At one point, police gave George water and cigarettes, though, and his father, George Bell Jr., did arrive on the scene at around 12.30 p.m. At approximately 3.15 p.m., George Bell finally put his gun down and gave up to the police. So, Robbie and George were both transported to police headquarters where George Bell was later charged with capital murder and kidnapping. When they got to the police station and they searched Robbie and George, among George's affects were $1,178 in cash. And they had also learned, like, George had been doing cocaine all night and all that morning. So, he was, like, really hallucinating. Like, they could tell he was high. But let's talk about the crime scene for a second. So at about 11 a.m. on September 11th, while the standoff drama was just beginning at the BP gas station, Jackson Deputy Chief Brent Winstead ordered a Sergeant Eric Smith to 4650 Trawick Drive to investigate. He, along with Lieutenant Joseph Wade and Sergeant Alfred Cooper, met Officer Donald Groom, who had already arrived at the house. The door to the four-bedroom house was unlocked, and two dogs that were Heather and George's dogs actually met them at the door. And after a brief search, they found Heather's body in a bedroom that was on the right side of the house. One officer said in his statement later on that the officer saw blood splatter on one of the doors in the hallway and a large area of coagulated blood on the floor, which is where the crime scene investigators placed the assault. He said, quote, I found a motionless body partially covered with towels, the head bloody, end quote. 
Additionally, they also saw a large flashlight, a mag flashlight, which would later be identified as the murder weapon, and it was placed on the bed. When the American medical response personnel arrived on scene, they quickly determined that Heather Spencer was dead. After removing the towels, they saw she was only wearing a purple tank top. Crime scene investigators found her white pants and panties near the left side of the bed. Among the evidence logged from the scene was a piece of Heather Spencer's skull. The autopsy, cited by Jackson Police Detective Derek Jordan, in a statement he gave to secure a warrant for capital murder and sexual battery against George Bell, confirmed, quote, severe lacerations to the brain, stress fractures, end quote, and he also had evidence of anal rape. The cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. And on February 4, 2008, George Bell III pled guilty to capital murder and kidnapping and received life in prison without the possibility of parole, plus 30 years. Currently, George Bell has been incarcerated for 16 years and is being housed at the Central Mississippi Correctional Facility in Pearl, Mississippi, where he spends most of his time educating fellow inmates on like religious values and teaching them about the Lord. And Heather Spencer lives on to the people her death has motivated to speak out about domestic abuse and the failures of our system and to help domestic abuse victims get help before it's too late. Her friends and family started a nonprofit group. It's called Heather's Tree, which holds an annual benefit each year in October.